Welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And happy Monday. Uh, we are broadcasting to you uh, after the, the weekend after uh, a bunch of stuff got released on Netflix. Uh, ben, have you gone to check out anything? Uh, only what we're getting ready to talk about, I think. Yeah, that's true. Um, also, we should note, but before we get into that, though, we should note, this is episode 52. We have done 52 of these episodes. We have done a full year's worth. Oh, man, we blew by celebrating our 50th anniversary, which is, is pretty substantial, but I'll take a year. A year is pretty solid. Yeah, well, we were 50, for episode 50, we were very busy talking about the Oscars. We were both in a very dark place. Um, <laughs> But it was a long night the night before, that's for sure. That's for sure. But to episode 52, this feels like a real anniversary because about a year ago we decided that this would be a good idea and still waiting for evidence to prove it. It's a great idea, but it's so far been a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've at least enjoyed I've, en- I've enjoyed making these podcasts, Liz. I can't say for sure that anyone enjoys listening to them, but, I mean, I have a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm sure people enjoy listening to them. My mom enjoys listening to them, and I think your mom does, too. So, really. I think she does, but I don't know if I can trust her. She might just tell me what I want to hear. Right, she's your mom. Exactly. Yeah. Being a good mom. But, yeah, so to... <laughs> I don't know why this feels like an appropriate subject matter, but uh, for for this for for our fifty second episode, but really the, the the trigger for this is that last Friday Netflix released yet another series because Netflix is to start determined to kill us dead, um, and uh, they actually released two original series. They released the comedians, which is this weird sketch comedy thing, and that will we may may be worth discussing down the line. Wait, the, that's the the characters, isn't it? The characters, it? yes. I don't, not the comedians, the characters. That, I apologize. The comedians did come out on Hulu. If you want to catch up with Billy Crystal and Josh Gad's great canceled FX show, but anyway. Do you? Yes, you do. You, that's a you fun do. show. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, but also, uh, also came out was also coming out was the uh, the eight eight episode first season of Flaked, starring Will Arnett as a guy who runs a furniture shop and is a alcoholic and dealing with that issue and dealing with the fact that he likes the ladies and live and dealing with the fact that Venice is a really beautiful place to live, but it's a complicated uh, system. That's all the show's about. There's, there's nothing else really complicating the issue. I did, I did enjoy the way you put uh, dealing with the fact that he likes the ladies or dealing with the fact that ladies like him, and uh, that's actually a huge portion of the show, which is which is somewhat ridiculous. But uh, yeah, it's a big uh, big factor. Are you saying Will Arnett still can't can't still get it? Because Will Arnett can get it. No, he absolutely can get it. But like that's the point. Like all the people on the show are people who can get it whenever they want to get it. So the fact they're having such a hard time getting it is is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, well, that's Los Angeles for you. I guess. But anyways, uh, the thing with Flaked is it's it's a, it's not it's a well-made show in a lot of respects. It's beautiful. It's beautifully shot. The acting is really really strong. There's uh, some int- really uh, the, before I, when I said that there's nothing else that goes on in Flaked. That was a joke because Flaked actually proves to be really complicated plot-wise uh, and or not complicated but twist field a uh, twist filled. And so we're gonna get we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna have a little spoiler section later in this episode because Ben is really excited about talking about the spoilers for Flaked. Um, very eager. I finished it this morning and, and my mind just kind of exploded. So 
There were all get caps ready. in chat. It was very exciting. Uh, so we're going to get to that a little bit. But right now, what we want to talk about is the fact that, God damn, how many different TV shows are there that on, on currently airing or have recently aired that are about white people in Los Angeles dealing with relationship problems? There's a lot is the answer to that. Yeah. There's there's quite a few. It's it's like I guess it's like the 90s sitcom craze where everything was set in New York and everything was, uh, you know, a laugh track multicam comedy on you know cbs basically <laughs> now we're in now we're in the future now we're in uh 2016 and everything is set in la on the opposite coast uh with single cams and no laugh tracks and you know gets a little serious gets a little dramatic but is still largely considered a comedy and there's just uh i mean there's a lot of them yeah and most of them are good yeah no uh so here, here we actually threw together a rough list of like the 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 shows that currently fall into the genre and you when you see you know it's yes it shows about white people re relationships in los angeles is it feels like a broad category but when we list, we list these all out you'll see why we group these together they all feel very much of a piece so we've got flaked we also have love from netflix as well last month uh Togetherness uh, is currently running on HBO. Is definitely on this list. Uh, it's very. It's an Eagle Rock show. If you know your Los Angeles neighborhoods, Transparent's pretty East Side as well. I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Transparent on Amazon, of course. Uh, Casual, which is Hulu's Hulu's uh, entry into this in this category. Uh, I don't know. It, it it feels like I think his house is in like the the hills. Yeah, see, I'm not sure where his is, and honestly, I'm not sure where exactly they are with Transparent either. Sometimes I get some some of the Hills vibe from that show too, but I don't I think know. They, I think I think they're not centered anywhere. I think it is. It's actually a nice a nice represent, representation of Los Angeles in that you will travel to different neighborhoods and so forth a fair amount. Uh, like I know that you know they go to quote unquote UCLA, that sort of thing, uh, sure. in Transparent. Uh, so casual, casual, definitely like they they're, definitely they're in some sort of hill foothill type area uh whether that's on the valley side or the uh, city basin side this is all the sort of la fancy la talk that you get to enjoy when you watch this watch these shows and uh also you're the worst very east side very silver lakey show um yeah. was is another one on this list and married which was sadly canceled but pretty west side i think uh in, yeah. in, in its geography but anyways the point is that there are a lot of these shows and are there too many? I mean, this is this is where I enter into a moral quandary because, on the one hand, you know, especially in television, especially right now, diversity is such an important topic. Like, you really need to to emphasize on that. But on the other hand, I never want to disparage or discourage any good shows from being made, and most of these shows are very good. Yeah, I mean. I am, a, we're both huge fans of You're the Worst, and that show, despite technically falling into the genre, feels very unique, very special, and very much of its own voice. Um, casual, Absolutely. sorry, go ahead. No, and I mean, I was just gonna lump in the, all the other ones. Togetherness has that same very kind of unique vibe to it. Uh, Transparent obviously has struck a chord. Uh, I, I, I mean, yeah, love is kind of on the fence, but but yeah. Yeah, I'll say Transparent does also, it is really important to note, it is, it is a show about white people dealing with relationships in Los Angeles, but the LGBTQ factor is a really important one. Of course. Yeah, and I think that's the thing about it is, you know, 
when you when you lump things into a genre, then you start looking at what makes them different and what makes them unique. And that's where that's where I think Flaked and Love struggle the most, frankly, is because you know they don't have really strong defining aspects beyond these kind of basic elements. Yeah, and I, I'd honestly argue that Casual's in that group as well. Oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not a huge Casual uh, admirer, at least in the terms of these other shows. I wouldn't put it on that you know nearly on the pedestals of these other ones, but um, but yeah, I mean it's it's a dangerous thing to do because when you start talking about if if you start looking at things wholly by, uh, you know, who or or uh, you know what race or or what body is represented by these shows, then you can lose a lot of the beauty that's in the specifics of them. So you don't want to diminish it in any way. But at the same time, you know, when you're looking at something that is so focused on, uh, you know, people in a similar class, even in a very similar area. Um, and there's just so many of them, and they're all coming up in in a you know relatively close time span. You know, these are all shows that are either in their first or second season, right? We didn't go anything over that. I mean, you're the worst is about to start season three, but other than yeah. that, they're all pretty they're all pretty new. Um, so there has to be something timely about it, and there has to be something kind of pressing about it. Uh, and at the same time, and they all are their own beast. They all are chronicling things in, in very different ways, even though they're all very similar if you just kind of look at them in that genre application. I love what you just said about bringing up the fact that these are young shows, because I think what's really interesting about You're the Worst is we were talking about season one in this context. I don't think that show, that show was great in season one. I really liked it. You really liked it. But it didn't, it, it did find the elements that made it really special to critics and fans in season two. Like that's where it really, you know, got a chance to stretch its legs and come up with unique elements that are really driving, going to hopefully drive the show forward uh, in season three. And and get on that Iacash Emmy train. Let's let's get that thing started because oh, it's, yes. it's definitely deserving. Certainly more than Kaylee Coco or however. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's I don't think she's really going to get in, but yeah, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, do you think that, let's say, casual season two, do you think casual season two could have that sort of same uh, same moment? Uh, well, it's one of the things that we've noticed a lot in TV of late that pretty much any season two, if it's demanded of it or if the creators are open to it, it can significantly change from season to season. Um I you know wouldn't necessarily anticipate that from casual simply because I don't think season one is nearly as good or as unique even or as set up to do what you're the worst did. Um, but I mean, you just you, you can't really predict these things, and that's that also speaks to the idea of you don't really want to you know squash any kind of creativity, anything that's trying to do something different, anything that's trying to be unique. And that's kind of the crux of this discussion, I feel like. Because, you know, it's easy to lump all of these shows together, but then at the same time, if you look at them individually, you can see kind of the specific things they're doing that the other shows are not. So it's like, okay, we've got this big group of shows that look similar that, you know, could be grouped into this category, but at the same time, instead of just judging them on, you know, which ones we think are the best and, and then eliminating the rest, it's more about, you know, are there enough stories going on? within this group to justify, you know, it, it continuing, to justify it, it it growing even if there's going to be more. Well, I think, but I think at the same time, like, I want, if you know that your show is part of a genre that's certainly not underdeveloped at this point, 
I feel like that should put pressure on people to really actually try to make great, to really try something different, try to be unique. And, you know, not just be like about telling personal unique stories in a, in a television format. You, you, you need to push further than that at this point. Well, no, I, I agree with you, but I think all these shows, save the ones that we've already mentioned, like uh, like Flaked and, and Casual, uh, are already doing that. And honestly, with Love, what I find very interesting about that show is 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 kind of how it its approach to the romance and to these characters feels so different. Like it's it's maybe not in the setting or in the characters themselves. But the approach to how they get together to to that kind of romance, which again, it being very specifically about these two characters' romance, is a little bit different than the other shows that are out there. Whereas, you know, like Togetherness and Transparent, those shows aren't just about you know couples getting together. Um, Love very much is focused on that to the point where when we were talking about it before, it, it could have become kind of an anthology series this could have been you know a nice little ending at the end of season one and we could have started over with a new group of characters in season two and that would be something ambitious and a little bit challenging a little bit different that you know they could do if they really wanted to you know set their mark and set themselves apart but at the same time they've got you know a good group of actors and 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 a good you know creator behind them and a story that they probably want to continue so they may not do that and they have to look in other ways to kind of leave their mark on the world but you know Again, cycling back through it, they have left their mark already by doing something different than these other shows, even when uh, these other shows you know, are, are in the same setting and feature similar characters of, of similar backgrounds. Yeah, and I mean, I want to I talk about the diversity issue because that's, I feel like, something where, you know, and we're seeing a real, we're, we're, we're probably going to see a really important important shift in this in the next two years, especially as this train gets moving, like it's no longer really acceptable to have an all white cast. And I should note that You're the Worst does have uh, it does have a, it does have minority representation. But it's it's on this list, like I don't know, it's 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 tough. And I know it's tough in part because, you know, if you have a show that contains family members, like the three principal characters of casual are in fact you know, all related by blood. So yes, they all happen to be of the same race. But it's the same thing with Transparent. I don't think there's, is there a character on that show who isn't a Pfefferman? No, I mean, they introduced some people in season two that, but I mean, not not of your main characters, no. Right. Well, it's something I noticed when, with Togetherness, honestly, because they would, you know, because that core quad, that uh, core quad, quartet, that sort of core, 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 wow. That's not not easy to say at all. Um, That core (laughs) quartet, I got through it, is uh, that's there. There's only two. There's there are two siblings in there, Um, and then and of course like Mark Duplass is going to star, and of course they love you know the Duplass I love Steve Zissos, so they're going to give him his shot, and most deservedly he's amazing. But I think this is actually what stuck out with me about Togetherness is the fact that then they do work because their core the core group is white, they do work to try to bring in diversity outside of that. And that's why you see in, that's not why you see uh, Steve Zissis, uh in season two dating a lovely, lovely young actress named Ginger Gonzaga. Uh, but it, it, it's nice to see them apply that approach to it. 
Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, it's another interesting idea to bring up in these kind of discussions because one of the things you're always taught, you know, as a writer is to tell stories that you know. And, and one of the interesting things with TV now is, you know, as, as a lot of shows still have a big writer's room, so they're able to bring in a lot of different perspectives and the people who actually know what they're, or have experience of things that are going to be, you know, dissected or, or divulged on the show can actually write about that sort of thing. They can bring in those those perspectives so that they are authentic and they are believable and they are relatable and people can you know see the world you know through the correct pair of eyes. A lot of TV shows these days are also being written more specifically by individuals because filmmakers are transitioning over. Um, they're they're not as big of writers' rooms. They're not necessarily relying on other perspectives. So do you want those people to be writing about things that they haven't gone through themselves? And that's you know it, it's to me it's it's a tough decision it's something that that not isn't necessarily easy to answer uh while at the same time you do want to see more diversity on your tv shows so you need to bring in uh you know maybe just more diverse voices from the get-go but you also don't want to silence the ones who are very good at telling the stories they're they're already telling by those you mean the, the you know filmmakers who may happen to be white who are who really deserve a shot at making television yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know that, that uh, Mark Duplos and Jay Duplos have, have writers on their team and, and uh, they don't do all the work themselves, but this is still very much, uh, it's very similar to the movies that they made. It's of the same vein. It's it's telling the same kind of stories. It's, it's using the same kind of people. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying they don't understand any other sort of perspective, but they have a very strong eye and a very good understanding of these people's particular perspective that's still going on, that's still modern, that's still relevant, and it still works. So, I mean, you don't want to just be the network executive or, or, or somebody who's like, all right, well, you got to throw in this other side of things. You've got to bring in this other perspective um, just because you don't have it. Not all shows, not one sh- one show can't cover everything and actually i think that was a quote from one of the interviews you did recently but um but no it's 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 one of those things that with tv because there's just so much out there we've talked so many times about how many original programs are are growing and 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 you know we're over 415 or we're going to get 450 we might hit you know 500 or something in in the near future you know you'd want a lot of those to be told from a from a a different perspective because we've got one of them covered uh, but at the same time, if there's so many that are good, you don't want to get rid of the good ones, and you still need to make room, and eventually that bubble's going to burst. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're making very fair points. Uh, I want to point out that, you know, not that this is a show that is anywhere near the kind of shows we're discussing, but People vs. O.J. Simpson, you know, does it, despite the fact that it's you know Ryan Murphy's an executive producer, uh, it's the showrunners are uh, Scott. Oh gosh, uh, Scott Alexander and Larry Larry. Oh, why can I never do this? Uh, Krasuski, I believe. I don't know. Sounds good. Sounds close. Uh, but anyways, lovely gentlemen, all white. But that show also does bring in a, that show brought in deliberately, I think, to some extent, because they knew they were going to be discussing race. You can't do that without black writers and directors involved. And in fact, they have, they had a, they have black people on the right, in the writer's room, and many episodes were directed by Anthony Hemingway, and one was directed by John Singleton. Well, of course, but again, you're talking about a show that's, that's very different from the ones we're considering, where they're direct point is to talk about race there the goal of that show is to generate discussion based around race race is not really an issue when it comes to togetherness 
Uh, it's it's not really an issue when it comes to casual or flaked or uh, love. Um, but that's not to say that you know you can't include different perspectives within those stories. Well, and I think that's. But I think the thing is, like, why shouldn't race be an issue in togetherness? Like, why why shouldn't? I mean, that's a it's a huge issue in our society right now. Like, why shouldn't we look at that? Or why oh, shouldn't that show look at that? Well, I'd argue because based on even the interviews we've done with with uh, you know the people who've made the show, it's you know they they've talked about how hard it is to get four stories of their main characters into the twenty five to thirty minute block that they have to tell each episode. So the idea of of you know how hard it is just to use those characters, then you have to bring in each of their unique storylines that are both you know arching throughout the season as well as their arch or their arcs in the independent episodes to bring in something that isn't necessarily there, that isn't necessarily pertinent to what these guys are going through. Um, you know, it, it changes the tone of the show. It changes the, the, the goals of the show even like, I mean, I, I don't know exactly. I mean, you could make the case that some of their guest stars maybe could have been more diverse, but at the same time, you know, if you like when, when, uh, Mark Duplass's wife was cast in season two, uh, Kate Azelton, uh, you know, that character was so perfect because you know the, the the preppy mom who's going to be really snobby and 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 get into uh, a fight with with Melanie Linsky's character over the fate of the um, the school that they're trying to build. You know she fit, she fits that. That's the person you'd think of. And then you could get into the dangerous territory if she ca- if she was the only one and she was cast as you know an African American or an Asian or another minority. You know, then she's seen as the enemy, and they cast in minority as the enemy while they've got all the white people on the goods. And then it's a whole other discussion. So then you're talking about the things that you don't want to be talking about when you've got this core story that's working really well. Yeah, that's fair. Um, though I, I think the thing I will note is that, uh, you know, I, did, I do think that togetherness does work to bring in diversity when it can. Like, it just, it just they can't do it out. They don't, they've, they've set themselves up in a way that they can't do it outside of that core that core. Uh, uh, Quartet. Why do I keep setting myself up for that? Um, no. But, but no, yeah, they're not afraid of it. It's just yeah. one of those things where you have to be careful as writers of, of not introducing topics uh, that aren't pertinent to the story, no matter what that topic might be. You don't want to start a conversation that you don't intend to start. It's kind of like if you want to go back to The People versus O.J. Simpson, if you're a lawyer, you don't ask a question that you don't know the answer to. So when you're writing a TV show, you don't ask a question of the audience that you don't already have addressed in the show. Fair enough. Um, let, let's let, let us take a if, if you do you want to talk about Flake now? And, and oh my God, can we? I, I think we can. I mean, we're not oh, going to solve we're not going to solve the issue of diversity on television today. Uh, it's true. I mean, it's we it's put we put some effort into it, but I don't think we're going to get it. If, right. if I had to, if I had to make a call, then I would, I would, if I was a network executive and I had all of these shows on my slate, which would obviously never happen and isn't the case. But if I did, I would, I'd probably cut flaked, I'd probably cut casual, and I'd make a very concentrated effort to go out and bring in more diverse voices talking about whatever they want to talk about. I'd bring in a master of none, um, you know, type show. Like let's let's get that in the mix. Uh, and that's what we really need to focus on as as TV fans is making sure that the networks and the studios and the people who are making these decisions that they know that we want to see these shows and then hopefully we'll see more of them instead of seeing more of the same even if the same turns out to be you know pretty good TV. Yeah, fair enough. All right, so Flaked. Uh, yeah, uh, here's the thing that's fascinating about Flaked, and so consider this officially a spoiler warning if you haven't seen past if you haven't seen the full first season of Flaked and 
you know, or if you don't care what happens in the full first season of Flate. I could see you going either way on this one, people. Uh, nope. What happens in, so this is your official spoiler warning. Uh, uh, by the end of, I think it's, I think it's, it starts becoming clear, like episode six ish, that there might be something going on. Yeah. Um, That's, that sounds right. And then in episode seven, you find out that uh, Will Arnett's primary love interest, a nice, a pretty nice, pretty young lady named uh, London, is not actually named London, and she is the sister of the man that Will Arnett confesses to killing in a drunk driving accident in the very first episode. Yeah, which is nuts. <laughs> like it totally, it totally came out of left field for me because they hadn't established any of that they hadn't tried to to build up to some sort of reveal with her outside of the fact that she i think they they made clear <laughs> that, she was, that she was engaged or that she uh she had a relationship that she'd run away from maybe in like episode two or three by by saying something about postponing the wedding or postponing you know yeah, a big gotten, event like, that was she, coming she, she definitely had gotten calls from like family members that sort of thing like asking where she was and stuff like that yeah, yeah. but there was nothing to to connect necessarily the fact with uh, you know, she was the the sister of of the man that Will Arnett confesses to killing in like the first line of the episode. Like he always he he talks about that on multiple occasions throughout the episode. And what's interesting about that twist specifically, which is only one of two major twists, which we'll get into in a second, is that when you hear it, I immediately wanted to go back and rewatch the earlier episodes to try to see that in the performances and try to. Like there were there were specific moments that stood out to me, including like her date with his friend, um, like you know, and and why she kept asking about Chip instead of asking you know about him, and and why she'd go out with him if she wasn't that interested in him, and why she was so averse to dating him, and when he was averse to dating her for very different reasons. Um, but yeah, it was like it it was such a such a rug pull kind of event. It really changed things around for me. But it was also right up there with the next one that came up. Yeah. To go to go really specifically to keep on the London twist, um, I think uh, the thing that struck me about it is that it made me like her more. It made me like her as a character. It made me understand. I feel like, I mean, as previously established, Will Arnett can get it. No problem. But the right. fact that this, this this woman came into his life and was kind of, you know, and they, and they of course, fall into a, a whatever whatever kind of relationship uh it, it, it had like the hint of randomness to me and it just it, i didn't have like any real emotional investment in it and then you get you get the twist of you know she deliberately went out to find him and then found himself found herself in this position and their love story becomes a lot more interesting to me and they also do what a lot of characters on television fail to do which is actually have sex which a plus. Well done, guys. Oh, my God. Yes. Very, very important aspect of all television shows. Um, but uh, um, but no, like what to, to speak to your point, they relied on they relied on an audience being invested in the idea of love at first sight at, at you seeing somebody across the room and them seeing you and you both have that connection, but you both don't quite know how to act on it. And you're a little bit nervous and you don't act correctly around each other. And frankly, those scenes were really hard to get through in the first episodes, because if that's all you have to go on, then it's just like, God, guys, yeah. get over yourselves. Like, just, you want to make out, just go make out with each other. It's not that big of a deal. But, you know, obviously for her, there was a lot more going on and we could see his side of it. But that 
side of it to me was also a, a huge side that doesn't work. Like his his buddy having basically dibs on a woman is such an antiquated and disgusting notion of, of relationships to me that I just hated it. I just couldn't get on board with any of that. Um, Wait, ben, are you saying you do not believe in the concept of dibs? I believe in the concept of dibs, not when it comes to women, not when it comes to people. Not, I mean, you can't you can't just spot somebody across the room and be like, oh, I've got dibs. Uh, you may be perfect for each other, but you can never date her because I saw her first and I thought she was hot. So. I really hope that all your bros know that you are not a bros before hoes bro. I am. No, I am. That is not how my bros behave. I would not hang out with bros who behaved that way. So anyway. Okay. <laughs> now that we've established that. Uh, right. <laughs> that very important detail. Yeah, everybody's uh, dying to know, so you're welcome. Yeah, I, I also, I, I do want to shout out for while we're talking about it, uh, the, 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 I'm going to call it the making love scene in episode eight. I really no, like that. that. I thought execution-wise, <laughs> I think that was maybe the high point of the series. Um, I not, don't and Not just because they succeeded in having sex on television, which is not something that all shows do these days, uh, but I thought it was actually really well I thought it was just like a nicely, a nicely shot, uh, nicely shot montage take on it. It it worked for me. I'm just saying. It felt very familiar to me. It was it was fine. It worked. Like it was it was fine. But the uh, the kind of, you know, just cut cut close up, well medium shot close up medium shot like on like with music playing in the background wasn't a whole lot for me. But. I think it was just the details of their interactions, like just them goofing around and then that segueing into other things. Like, I don't know, it made me buy them it as a couple. It, it made me buy them as a couple more than anything else that had happened. Yeah. But let's get to the second twist before yes, we get too far down the, the, one, the one that has apparently blown Ben's mind. Well, and this one, after the first one was revealed, I, I, I can't remember the exact timing, but they were very close together. I called this one. This one I felt like we knew was coming up, but it was also something that was so late in the game. It didn't happen until the sixth episode or so that you'd ever suspect something like this. But it wasn't actually Will Arnett's character. Chip didn't kill the guy. It was his wife who killed the guy, and he's covering for her in order to keep her career afloat. If she, if this had happened to her early in her career, she would have never gotten work, presumably as an actress. She'd never be as famous and as rich and as yeah. happy as she is now. Um, for backstory's sake, Will Arnett's now uh, uh, almost ex separated wife, uh, played by Heather Graham, uh, is now a fame a pretty famous actress. Where I think we're meant to believe. Um, yeah. And yeah. yes, but yeah, earlier in her career, they she was the actual person behind the wheel, and she's technically responsible. And again, like she's introduced pretty early in the show. I want to say like the third episode or so. Maybe uh, earlier even. Yeah. yeah maybe the second episode, but um, but nothing about that introduction speaks to some sort of secret being held between them of like that magnitude. Um, and then when at, at some point he has to make a deal and he like threatens her and you have to consider what possible leverage he could have and it's kind of made a little bit more evident. So when it does come out, it's not as big of a deal. But anyway, the point of why I wanted to talk about these twists was, I mean, it, it, if we want to connect it all the way back to the broader discussion of what makes these shows unique, I would say that the way that this is structured does make it unique. I don't think it's necessarily structured well. Uh, because I, again, I would have liked to have some sort of illusion that these were coming. I don't obviously don't want the twist to be spoiled, but they didn't give us enough 
to justify what was going on in the first four episodes for even to get through those unless you just were a TV addict like, you know, yours truly. Um, but yeah, what's what's interesting about that final twist to me and what does make him, uh, Chip specifically, as a character work is that you see so many of these kind of I don't want to say anti anti-hero because he's not really an anti-hero, but like so many of these flawed protagonists, so many of these guys that everybody has to keep telling again and again, you're a good guy. No, really, you are. Like, I know you do terrible things, but trust me, you're good. I know you're good. And that's like for the audience to realize, oh, yeah, sure, I guess he is because they're telling me he is. Um, you see so many of those people who are like that, and a lot of them are liars. A lot of them, you know, that's that's like the main motivation on TV because it creates twists like this. Um but what worked for me about this last one was I could see how even though he didn't kill the guy, which is you know such a huge event for him as it seems throughout most of the show, the fact that he had to lie about it and the fact that he lied about it for someone he was in love with, for his wife, uh, to protect her and then to have to live with that lie for so long, to me, speaks to the idea of why he would continue lying because that started it. Like that was a motivating factor for what – he would become down the line because he probably thinks a lot less of himself or at least a little bit less of himself or has to live in a world where he's the only one who knows the truth. So why can't he keep living in that world? And then that creates the world that we're thrown into at the beginning of the series and that we're, you know, left with at the end of, of season one. And that's a lot more interesting to me than, you know, the guy who's presented through the first four episodes. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the thing was, I, I, I actually liked the idea of a show that would basically set up its character, set up its protagonist as arguably one of you know humanity's lesser uh, lesser liked uh, kind of kind of folk, like the the drunk the the you know the apologetic drunk driver who actually is responsible for taking a life. Like that's not a sympathetic figure, and I respected the show for trying to go for that and. Yeah, so I mean, it does say a lot about the character that it, that you know, you, you with that final twist, like you have a whole new perspective on him. But I kind of wish they had stuck stuck with what they were stuck with that idea. I, I'd agree that there's definitely uh, a story and a character to explore if they had stuck with it. But to me, that feels much more predictable than what they went with. And to me, the biggest hurdle for a show like this is getting over the fact that you know, <laughs> these two friends are both like one, his, his buddy played by, Oh God, what's the guy's name? Um, David Sullivan. Yeah. Uh, his buddy Dennis, he's just, I mean, he's such a sad sack. Like he's so <laughs> sensitive. Like he's just every single thing about him is just very touchy. And, and, uh, you know, <laughs> chip is, is in the same vein and you can kind of see how they, bonded together to become you know the, the 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 married couple they joke about being um but for all that to work like for for any of that to to be believable i i did feel like i needed this justification for why he would keep lying for why he would be a liar for why he would you know put his friends through this or why he would even put himself through this because so many shows just want you to accept the fact that yeah people just aren't very good you should follow this guy anyway. He's not really a good guy. He wants to be, but and that's good enough. The fact that he wants to be good enough is good enough. And that and that's not that's not for me. That doesn't work anymore. So I liked giving him actual justification for what he's doing and 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 that helps me overcome 
some of the ridiculous uh, relationship stuff that happens in the earlier episodes. Fair enough. I mean, in your head, why do you think he kept lying? Because it because he had to because he had the first he lied the first time because he felt like he had to because of you know the situation that was presented in front of him that was something that he had to internalize within himself throughout and you saw that at the in the last episode when his friend who knows the truth confronted him about it and he still wouldn't tell him and it's not that he thinks his buddy would tell somebody else and ruin it for him it's that he has created a universe in which he is the only one with knowledge of it he's the only one who's existing in it. And it, it's easier then to just keep lying in that scenario and to create, you know, to, to, to broaden out on that and, and to, to keep going with it. And, I mean, I don't know. That just worked for me. That, that really helped make things click for why we'd actually want to follow this guy and what hurdles he'd have to overcome in the future. We might want to we might want to properly editorially uh, sit down with this one again, like because you have you have, you, have, you have many thoughts that maybe deserve to go beyond podcasting. Nah, uh, those, those twists, man, they just got me all energized. It happened yeah. this morning, just all crazy. You got some pep in you. I do a little bit. Um, I also want to quickly shout out for Annabeth Gish's second evil appearance of the year. Well done, Annabeth <laughs> Gish, making a real comeback as an evil force uh, in the universe. Very true. Yeah. She's, she can she can get it. No, no, she can't. We don't like her. <laughs> we do not like Monica Reyes, Ben. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. She's working for Cancer Man. It's not cool. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> we're, of course, referring to the X-Files, where uh, Annabeth Gish has made a reappearance in the final, the final episode. Yeah, which we're already trying to forget. But, yeah, now Liz has set us back again. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well... Yeah, someday I'm going to really process how I feel about that finale. Someday. Maybe when they renew it for another season, you know, if yeah. that happens. Oh, God. Yeah, because what if they don't? What if they just never make more X-Files? Anyway. Perfect ending. Aside, tangent aside, oh, I, I, I'm curious as to how many people are still actually listening. Uh, I, not, not that I don't think people are interested in our discussion. I just don't know how many people finished watching Flaked. Um or don't care about flaked, yeah. Or it's don't, tough. Well, the don't care about flaked people may have stuck around. That's my theory. Um, sure. I don't know how many. They love us that much. I just don't know how many of those people are out there. I it's tough to tell. And true. It's true. And then they might be mad at us because I don't know where I'd land on actually recommending the show because, you know. Well, if it's the, like if the, your, your recommendation is like, well, if you get through episode eight and you like it, you should probably watch it. Like, it's a, it's a catch-22. Well, yeah. And, yeah, the catch-22 is also that the reason to watch the shows for this is for the twists. And I just told you what they are. Yeah. <laughs> so I, think, I, think, I don't know if that's a great enough reason to actually sit through the show. I recall in my review, I, I don't think I made a huge deal about the fact that there were a couple of major twists later in the season. And I think I did that deliberately because, you know, it's that classic thing of if I tell you there's a twist then you're going to be looking out for the twist. Of course. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very glad you actually got to take on this review because uh, first of all, it was a very well done review. And and second of all, I don't know what I would have done by, because by the end of it, that's all I want to talk about, obviously. So I don't know what I would have done for a for a season review. I'm sure it would have been magnificent. But yeah. most importantly, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? <laughs> okay, so I've got two picks. Uh, not for best thing. My best thing next thing this week are um, they're going to make everybody angry. So just I'm sorry, but I've got to go with it. Um, I already said my best thing 
the the real best thing that I watched is the Americans, which I used last week, so I'm not going to use that again. Um, so as a as kind of a a more timely choice, uh, as I was doing some work this weekend, I turned on HBO Go and I was kind of flipping through whatever you know was available, and I noticed that they had a couple of uh, actually I think that four Batman animated feature films. Oh uh, yeah, viewing. And I'd seen a couple of them. I really like Batman uh, Year One because uh, Ben McKenzie, hello, and Brian <laughs> Cranston, obviously. But who does, uh, who does Cranston play in that? He's Gordon. He's Commissioner Gordon. What? That's weird. Yeah, he'd be great. Also, as a wait, no, wait, so, so, so wait. Ben McKenzie plays Batman in Batman Year One, and now plays Commissioner Gordon. This is very confusing for me. I know, yeah, it's crazy. I remember, I remember that when Gotham was uh, was coming out, and I was like, "Ooh, this is exciting." Okay. Uh, but no, my my recommendation is actually uh, Batman: The Dark Knight Returns, oh. both in part two. Uh, I actually think the voice work is a little bit weaker in in these installments, but uh, the reason I'd recommend them is because there is a, in the second one, in part two, there is a Batman Superman fight basically like they and there's good reason for it and it's actually sold in a in a somewhat believable capacity and i haven't seen obviously batman versus superman that's coming out you have to use the full title colon piece of shit but i feel very comfortable in in saying that this version is is better than what's going to be coming out in theaters i am so upset over some of the like first of all why is he using guns let's just throw that out there batman doesn't use guns and there's guns all over the place in this movie <laughs> so whatever you failed already you already just write it off um but also Zack snyder just hasn't made a good movie in a while slash ever yeah. but i would do i feel like uh these animated movies there's something about batman that really works in animated form i mean it just He's just got such a presence, and peep the the artists who can create him on screen just really take full advantage of it. You know, obviously, Batman the Animated Series is one of the best uh, children's shows, if not the best children's show ever made. Um, and 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 they've really drawn off of that, and you know, no pun intended, and really made you know bigger and better things since then. So I, I would encourage anybody who is tempted to go see Batman vs Superman in theaters, or even after you have to go because you're just like, I can't not see it which is what I'll end up doing as well. You'll have something to come home to that'll kind of work as a palate cleanser. So that's my recommendation. But Liz, please, you know, use a real TV example for God's sake and save me. Well, uh, two things have happened in the last 72 hours. One is that, uh, I finished a a casual rewatching of Breaking Bad, uh, all the way through season six, uh, five, five. It just feels like season six because they split season five and two. Uh, right. And yeah, you know that's a pretty good show, Ben. Uh, that, uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might only be one of the best television shows ever made. Uh, yeah, uh, probably. Probably. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, and I season five is so interesting in a way that I, I, I almost want to go back and just rewatch it all over again uh, as a unique entity because. It, it because like when they when they know that they're they can basically explode the show like they can really just dismantle every element of it and they do so in such a fascinating way that breaks your heart I don't know it's like it's it's so compelling anyways also uh, I won't say too much about it because we still got a couple weeks left before it actually comes out. 
but I've seen the first four episodes of Archer season seven and it's delightful. Hell yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the thing about Archer that's really, that's really important. I think about it is that it is such, is a show that so knows itself so well and is so confident about what Archer is, but also is totally not afraid of reinventing itself. Like it is trying new things all the time. And, you know, this season is no exception. This season is actually really plot driven. There's a, like an overarching narrative. Uh, it's really interesting. Like I'm excited to see what happens next. Yeah, Archer Archer is like an ideal human being in that like once you have that self-confidence, you start trying a bunch of new things and, and that only grows when you that only grows your confidence by trying new things. So yeah, I I love Archer. I can't wait to start doing, you know, the episode reviews for that and digging into the new season. Yeah. Um but real quickly, Liz, I'm gonna give you three shows and you just tell me which is the most depressing. Go. Breaking Bad. Okay. Mad Men. Okay. Game of Thrones. Ooh, uh, easy, Game of Thrones. Wow, okay, interesting. I think, I honestly think, like, if we ran that poll somewhere, which maybe we will on our show page. We should do that, uh, that'd be fun. I think there'll be a lot of different... That's such a fun poll. Yeah, yeah. it's so fun to talk about and really, you know, delve into remembering the the darkest shows that you've ever seen and and wondering, God, which one made me feel the worst? I I think, here's the thing, here's the thing. I would say... I would say Breaking Bad, honestly. I would, I would, I would agree that Breaking Bad is probably technically more depressing than Game of Thrones, except I think Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad finds its heart in that Walter White story, and it basically what it comes down to is that spoilers for the series finale of Breaking Bad. Screw <laughs> you guys if you haven't watched it. Um, <laughs> No, no apologies for spoiling this for you. You should watch this. Uh, We're spoiling everything, apparently. We are the worst. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when Walt says to Skyler, "I did it for me," like you know, in the lo- you know, it's like <sighs> it's it's so hard. But at the same time, like you know, he got what he wanted, and he. I don't think he knew what he wanted at the time, and I. But that's what, as opposed to just like the random, the thing about Game of Thrones is that it's a brutal, bloody world and, and horrible things have this randomness to them. And that's why I find it more depressing because I understand a man destroying himself uh, out of his own ego and his own desires. And that makes sense to me and that feels rational and not rational, but, you know, understandable. But with Game of Thrones, it's like, it just it just glorified. It, it, I'm, I feel like I'm parroting you. Like uh, Game of Thrones doesn't doesn't find that sort of I don't uh, grace. I guess it doesn't have that grace and that serenity to it. Uh, and maybe it will in the f- in future seasons. But right now, I'm not seeing it, and that's what makes it more depressing to me. Well, it'd horrible be hard. Things to, just, it... things just happen to people, and they never get to make peace with it. Well, I mean, yes, that's all very true. But also, I mean, with Breaking Bad, you started with a pretty pure core. You know, the people at the beginning were all pretty good people doing fine things. And then just bad things started to happen to them. And then, you know, he embraced it. But with Game of Thrones, everybody just started off shitty. So it just got worse. It just Um, keeps getting worse. Is that where you fall as well? Would you say Breaking Bad versus Game of Thrones? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, Mad Men's in there because of very specific people who have told me that they find it unbearable, um, including my dad. My dad has told me a couple of times that Aww. that's 
far and away the most depressing show he's ever seen. Well, I feel, uh, like, I feel like especially if you're, you know, uh, especially if you can empathize at all with Don Draper, like I can see that one hitting really close to home. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I feel like I empathize with, with Don Draper as well. But again, if we're going to spoil things, I'm not going to get into specifics, but the ending of Mad Men is too... I mean, I'd call it a happy ending. It's too happy for it yeah. to be considered with these other two shows. But I'm going to throw it in the poll anyway, just see who else can, uh, yeah. who else is on my dad's side. But I mean, the thing is, like, I, I, will take finding a moment of peace and acceptance with your, with, with your scenario, with, with your situations over just di- bleeding out in the snow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, bleeding out in the snow, bleeding out in a meth lab, whatever. Yeah, details. Um, well, he doesn't. One one of them seemed okay with it, is what I'm saying. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Um. Anyways, Ben, what's the next thing? You, you have you already said what the next thing you're looking forward to is? <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't yet. What's, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? You all would remember, because um, again, like I said, you're just all gonna be upset. Guess what starts on Thursday, Liz? I don't know, Ben. What starts on Thursday? The 2016 uh, National Collegiate Uh, Athletic Association's uh, Men's Basketball Tournament. It's March Madness. And guess who's in it, Liz? Is it Iowa? You bet Iowa's in it. I thought we lost the thing. Well, we lost in the Big Ten tournament in the first round to Illinois, which was rough. And frankly, I'm being cranky and that being the reason why. It was the reason why, and it remains a despondent moment of my life to this day. But I have to have hope because, I mean, I have to. Like, what else can you do in this life other than have hope? You just got to be optimistic about things. And, yeah, we've lost, like, five of our last six, something like that. I mean, we've just cratered You're just at the saving end of this. it up. You're just saving up that energy. I hope, I hope what we're doing is we're just getting ready to mount the most historic run in NCAA tournament history. Um, and it's all going to start against Temple on Friday in, oh God, where are we playing? I don't remember now. It's very Uh, important that we all know this. Oh, we're in Brooklyn. We're playing in Brooklyn. Uh, very close to where my sister lives. I hope she goes. But, uh, anyway, we're all going to be watching. So let's embrace it. That's what I'm looking forward to. March Madness. And I, I admit right now I've jinxed Iowa by even mentioning them. Cause I feel like every time I talk about them on the show, they lose. But, uh, again, I got to hope. Indeed. I, I, I will hope with you. All right, Liz, is there anything, you know, serialized or, or maybe, you know, narrative or Actually written? Actually relevant to our audience. Yeah, like an original series that people might care about when they're not watching basketball? I mean, yes, because while they're not watching basketball. Really? In all those hours. Are? I thought <laughs> they just canceled everything that week. It's not just, we're not just on break? Oh, you think? So here's what happened. I was, uh, I, about two months ago... I watched the first three episodes of season two of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, uh, Netflix provided them for TCA review. Uh, and then, and that, they were great. And this morning I was talking, you know, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt released its official trailer. And I was like, oh, that's right. I've seen, I've seen some of this already. And it was great. Wonder if they, wonder if the screeners are still live on the official Netflix screener site. So I went to the official Netflix screener site, and not only are episodes one through three there, but I'd forgotten they sent out four, five, and six. I have three new episodes of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt I could be watching right now instead of watching oh. basketball. Um, well, I mean, if you're talking about right now, then yeah, you can't watch basketball right now, so that's a good decision. But 
come Thursday, that's tough. I'd, I'd probably I'd probably like put on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and then leave basketball on in the background. Ugh, how dare you! <laughs> I gotta keep an eye on it. I'm gonna have money riding on this thing. I mean, not money. I mean respect, yes. depending on the realities yes. of yes. doing uh, state gaming commissions. Yeah, exactly. Nobody's monitoring that. Oh, my God. Uh, well, if while you're watching basketball, you're looking for something to entertain yourself with, you can go to IndieWire.com with, for news, reviews, interviews, and features, uh, none of which will have anything to do with basketball, if I have my way about it. Uh, it but they should hopefully Good still luck. entertain you anyway. Yeah, and I mean, if, if you do want some more basketball coverage, make sure you turn in, tune into Screen Talk this week, because <laughs> I know... Ann Thompson, as our you know official awards prognosticator, has got to have the inside scoop on the tourney bracket. I'm sure she's been studying it since the two-hour release party on Sunday. And then, I mean, Eric, God, he just digs in. That guy is a maniac. Eric every, Cohn. Every part. The mean, madness consumes him. I just, ugh, so I'm scared. But, you know, it'll be a good podcast this week. The, yeah, the only thing more fierce than Eric Cohen's love of basketball is Eric Cohen's actual ability to dunk. I've seen it, <laughs> and it's scary. I, I've avoided it at all costs because I don't want to be posterized. But, um, and again, if the, the, our other podcast, you know, our, our crown jewel, let's say of, of IndieWire is IndieWire influencers. And I'm pretty sure Dana Harris this week is talking to, um, she's talking to Iowa head coach Fran McCaffrey about, you know, his histor- his upcoming historic run and what he has planned for the tournament because that's obviously going to be captured on, you know, it's going to be on TV. I'm sure they'll make a documentary about it. Eventually it'll be, you know, a feature film, probably, you know, not an independent feature film because everybody will want to see that thing and they'll get some money behind it. But, you know, who knows who will be playing this, uh, you know, incredible cast of characters. So right. make sure you listen to, to all of these wonderful podcasts and, and get ready for the tourney. And for more of Ben's elaborate fan fiction uh, about what IndieWire podcasts are about, you can go to Ben T. Travers on Twitter. And for everything that you actually care about in terms of television, uh, make sure you follow Liz at Lizlet on Twitter with an I and an E. That's correct. We'll be back next week. Uh, ben might have watched something that's not about basketball. Who knows? Don't Probably not. Probably not. So, uh, but we'll all be here at least. And in the meantime, keep watching television.